I just wanted to start by, by just sharing some, some of the things that, that we experienced as a group and just the, the things that God uh, taught us, and my prayer is that I can communicate them uh, with you as well. This was the team that, that went with us. Um, by the way, that was when we left, and uh, we didn't look that sharp on our way back. Um, I, didn't take, I didn't put a picture up. I think I may have put it up on Instagram of us um, on the plane ride back. We, were, we looked a little bit more haggard and, and a little bit more not ourselves. But this was, this was a team as we met in Denver on our way out to India. And so on the left, Kellis Booth is in Kentucky. He's a pastor there, uh, church planting, been there about uh, 10 years. And then uh, Glenn Johnson, he's in Alliance at a Berean church there, been there a number of years. There's that guy in the middle. And uh, then... Uh, Jason Gantz, he's in Gordon, Nebraska, up in uh, the northwest part of the state of Nebraska, and Nate Harworth, he is a youth pastor in Sterling, Colorado, and so that, that was our team, at least, that went to America, and then we met a lot more of the, the team there, uh, the nationals there in India. But I wanted to just, just give you some pictures. The rest of these pictures are mine, so I apologize, they're not nearly as good, but this is what they call a little auto, and I call it a little tuk-tuk because that's what they... They call them in uh, Kenya, and uh, but it was just a, a three-wheeled form of transportation, and they are everywhere. You you can't go anywhere. It doesn't matter if you're out in the country, in the city. They are everywhere, and it's a great form of transportation if you don't have a motorcycle, which, by the way, almost everybody in India has a motorcycle, and so that was one of the forms of transportation. I don't know if you can see this, but this was a normal scene. There's three people on that motorcycle, a kid in front, dad in the middle, and, and mom on the back, and that was very normal. Uh, transportation uh, that you can you can see just a, just the the idea the flavor there uh, of India um, sometimes our I think uh, I don't know if you can see that but that's a picture of our of our team with Campus Crusade for Christ of India and let me just say uh, this about Campus Crusade without their ministry in India uh, the the ministry that the the Berean Fellowship wanted to do years ago in planting churches there wouldn't have really been successful without the team of Campus Crusade in India really facilitating all of the the needs on the ground and so those are some of the the leadership of Campus Crusade for Christ in India they call it Crew now and they are just godly men and um, just uh, faithful servants of the Lord uh, that uh, have served faithfully. Uh, in the church and to the the body of believers in India. So this was, uh, let me just go back for just a moment. I want to give you some quick numbers. And again, these are are generalized numbers, but I I want you to understand the ministry. And many of you are familiar with the opportunity over the years. Uh, Pastor Frank, uh, years ago when he was a pastor here, he went to India and other pastors went as well. Um, and the whole idea of the opportunity that the Berean Fellowship as a whole to go to, to another place in the world that was needy like India and plant churches to see that that was the, the way that God ordained to see people saved, to establish local fellowships and see people come together and to grow and then to go out and multiply and tell others about Jesus. And that was the heartbeat of the Berean church planting movement in India. And so they went there years ago with this idea and this prayer and this vision of seeing many churches planted. And some 300 churches have been planted over the years in the Berean Fellowship. And, and the model of that was to, one of the main components of that was to train pastors because they didn't have any official training. They didn't go to seminary. 
And they didn't go to Bible college and get degrees and then go off and do this. They needed training on just understanding the doctrines of God's Word and, and how to, to communicate effectively and, and to, to reach the community and all these things that, that they, they needed trained in. And so the Berean Fellowship came up uh, with a, a program by which they would send uh, pastors from America and they would go over there and train them. And then they would encourage them to take the material that they learned and then to duplicate it and to train other new pastors that would come along or other people that came to faith in Christ and, and they're growing and then they're, they're displaying their gifts and, and they too are ready to be trained to go out and, and, and reach another community with the gospel. And so they created this model. Now, all that to say... 15, 20 years ago, that was the model for the Berean Fellowship, and they began to plant churches. Some of those contacts that they came in contact with were Campus Crusade for Christ, and some of these men took the model that the Berean Fellowship created for India, crew took it, they tweaked it, and now they are using it to train other pastors and to reach other communities. And so over the years, the Berean Fellowship has had 300 churches planted, and now Crew has seen just in eight years that they've been implementing this uh, model of training and duplicating and multiplication, over 1,500 some churches have been planted by the same model, not Berean churches, they, they call them, um, what do they call them? I forgot. So it doesn't matter. But, but they're connected with Campus Crusade for Christ and, and now they're duplicating it. And so this is the point. Your prayers, your money, your ministry over the years in this local fellowship and around the Berean fellowship has produced thousands of churches in India. Thousands! The numbers are staggering. Right now, the Berean fellowship in India has a, uh, around uh, 120 uh, pastors. And, and most of those pastors have multiple churches that they are pastoring, so there's a lot more churches than pastors. And so they have a lot of work to do. There's about 7,800 um, Christians that attend those Berean churches. And so you think about that, and you do the, the numbers, it's fairly comparable to the Berean Fellowship here in America. All that to say, God is doing a great work, and these men... And then other pastors, uh, Berean pastors that we met with, those pastors are being faithful. God is blessing their ministries. One of the opportunities that we had was to to go to another part of of India. We we went to Chennai, which is a a city of 17 million people. If I'm not mistaken, there's no no city in America that's that uh, populated. Is that right? So, So Chennai isn't that big of a city in India. And yet, 17 million. It, it's unreal. But we left Chennai and we went up to, flew up about uh, an hour north of there uh, to a town called Vizog and um, met with some believers there. And so, one of the opportunities, ways that they reach people with the gospel is by just providing food for the poor. And so, we got to be a part of that, of, of assembling um, what was their daily portion of food. And, and so, we put together. Um, we didn't put it together. We, we sort of helped them put it together after they cooked it. But they're, here, we're in food processing, basically, sitting there uh, putting um, the, the hot soup mixture um, in that plastic bag that you see that has a boiled egg in it. 
and then, then we put, um, then we serve a, bi- a big bag of rice with that. And so it was a great privilege to, to serve in that way and just to experience uh, the daily things and the weekly things that they do to reach out in the community. One of the opportunities that we had on Sunday um, was to go to a tribal community outside of the city of Izog about an hour and a half. And this was just normal things that you would see just driving through uh, the the tribal villages, the, the daily life of goats and sheep and cattle as well. Um, just some of the things we see in America, but in a different context uh, for sure. On that Sunday, we got to minister to a number of kids. And so here's some of the kids that we were able to connect with. We sang songs with them. Uh, we told stories about Jesus. We were able to t- share our testimonies with them. And that was the beginning of our, our church service is, is basically like a Sunday school hour for them. And then we went to another place there and we were able to be a part of uh, seeing uh, three men, uh, these three men over here get baptized. Uh, these two are brothers. And this was just another gentleman. He was probably in his uh, late 50s, early 60s. And both of the, all three of them had recently come to faith in Christ, but they wanted to wait for us to be able to have a part in seeing them, uh, as they say, take baptism. That's the word they use, the phrase they use. They waited to take baptism until we got there. And in their culture, um, this is serious business. It is substantial because when you publicly are baptized, you are you are truly separating yourself from everything that you once knew and held and believed. So it's, uh, I think we have failed in our country. We maybe minimized baptism um, and haven't really kept the, the significance of it, of, of publicly confessing through water baptism of our identity with Jesus Christ and putting our faith in him. And so what a privilege to see that. So Kellis... Kellis got nominated to be the one to help with the baptism because he was the only one wearing shorts that day. And so uh, he, we nominated him. Let's see if we can get that. So again, uh, bananas are a big product. There's just so many things there. Papaya, uh, not papayas, uh, mangoes are a big one too, but we were a little early and so the mangoes weren't ripe so we didn't get to enjoy any of that. But this is just what you see, just constant traffic and just constant commerce and things going on. In, in the community there. Now, this was as we were traveling to another uh, town about three hours south of Chennai, we went to meet with some of the Berean pastors. And this is one of the Berean pastors and his wife. And uh, remember, one of the reasons we went to India was to be a part of the Ministry of Hope Venture in distributing backpacks. And so they both had about, oh, looks like about 10 backpacks there uh, that uh, Pastor David Johnson He's a Berean pastor in India, was holding there, and his wife was holding another 10 or 15 there on, on the back of the motorcycle. And this is normal for them. Uh, the women uh, will always sit side saddle in the, on the back of the motorcycle, and it's crazy because they'll be going down the highway, sitting side saddle, not even holding on, and just sort of, you know, life, this is normal. And they have the greatest balance in the world. I don't, I don't know. And because they are weaving in and out of traffic like... There is no place on earth that has the worst traffic as India does, and they just go nuts there. They're the, the best drivers I've ever seen because of the things and the chances that they take. I thought I was impatient, but uh, they, are, they are truly crazy. But anyway, this is just, a, just one example of 
us connecting with the Berean pastors and then going out into the communities and distributing some of the backpacks. One of the privileges of, of distributing backpacks was just getting to know and to say hi and to meet some of the kids. Most of these kids have never seen a white person, and so this was really weird and foreign to them. And so it was overwhelming, honestly, because they were getting something that they desperately needed, a backpack with school supplies, um, and this is everything to them. And it makes so much a difference in their life to just have something uh, that, um, that will really help them in life because education is very important in India, and, and if they, they don't have those supplies, it makes it very much difficult. And so they were excited but truly almost in shock and sort of overwhelmed uh, by that. So this was an opportunity that I had to, uh, we, we went to a lot of communities to distribute these backpacks, and this was just a, an example of that, giving, giving some of these backpacks out to the kids. Truly a, a privilege to, to serve in this way. And, and thank you to m- many of you in the Berean churches that had a part in raising um, uh, enough money uh, to, to just provide a lot of backpacks. Uh, we went into some tribal communities, like I said. This was Again, pictures don't do it justice, because it was a picture of a family coming out of their, of their house. This was their hut. It was uh, mud, mud sidewalls and then just a thatched roof, and they lived in an area that they didn't even own the land, um, but they were the lowest caste. They were the lowest of the low where no one wanted to associate with them, and so we had to go to them because they couldn't live in the other villages. They weren't allowed to because of the, the caste system and that they were the the rejects, the one that n- no one loved. And so there was a number of families that um, were in this lowest caste, and so what a privilege for us to go with the, the pastor of these villages, and, and he's already made contact with them, and some of them have came to faith in Christ through his ministry, and we got to go to where they live and to give some of them uh, backpacks and to, to pray with them and minister to them. This is one of the the Berean pastors that uh, is actually working with these groups of people. And so he was a pastor of at least three different uh, fellowships that we went to um, one day and, and visited some of the people. And uh, so this was just a, a picture taken of him and his uh, family and some of the kids that got backpacks. This is another pastor that's not part of the Berean Fellowship, but part of uh, Campus Crusade um, Ministries. And uh, he has um, a number of fellowships that he's a pastor over as well. And he asked for prayer. Um, his prayer, uh, right now he has uh, 70 uh, people attending one church, and which is a, a, a good group in a small community. But his prayer, uh, he's a man of faith. And he says, my prayer is that, that this community will grow to a thousand, uh, not community, but the church would grow to a thousand. And then he's praying that after that goal, that there would be 10,000 believers uh, that that the Lord would bless him to have contact with and to and to minister to, and so he is he is a man of faith and and just uh, God's using him in, in great ways. That was his wife and and two daughters. Let's see if there's one more. I think there's one more, maybe one more. David, can you advance that? I don't know if there's one more. Okay. So this was our selfie there last day. I wanted to end with this as far as pictures go because I just this was an, a, a really cool opportunity and the Lord used it praying for these divine moments and uh, just opportunities to, that God would use to just sort of drive home some points for me. And, and these boys were playing soccer out, out in the field before our time that we met together. And, and so uh, some of the younger pastors uh, hung out with them playing soccer. I didn't, but I got to watch. And, and then later I went to, had a chance to talk with some of these boys. 
And uh, this boy right here, um, he came up to me and, and, he, and he said, let me get this, let me get the wording of it uh, right and the context of it right. He said, do you love Jesus? And I was sort of taken back by the question. You don't always hear that. And I said, I smiled and said, yes, I love Jesus. And I said, do you love Jesus? And he said, no. I'm Hindu. And, of course, that shocked me that he would just be, he, he wasn't brazen. He wasn't trying to be mean. He was just being a matter of fact. And I said, what's your name? And he said, my name's Harry. Harry, okay, Harry. And I said, Harry, Jesus loves you. And he got a smile on his face. He doesn't love Jesus yet. But Jesus already loves him. And so I just, it just struck my heart. Harry's just one example of millions of kids, millions of families, millions of Indians that need the love of Jesus. And so uh, that's my prayer, um, that you'd remember to pray for Harry, remember to pray for um, the pastor that he has, that he's ministering to these boys. He's trying to reach them. And so they're exposed to the gospel and they haven't put their faith in Jesus yet, partly because of culture, because of tradition, because of family expectations, because if they turn from Hinduism to faith in Christ, uh, they will be an outcast. They will lose everything. We, we read in Scripture, you can bring up the lights, uh, we, can, we can turn that, that off if you want. Um, we read in Scripture passages uh, that Jesus said to so many, including His disciples, that uh, if you want to follow Me, you must forsake all and even your family. Here in America, we don't truly all the time understand the significance of that, but um, going to cultures like India and other places in the world where there's persecution, where there's difficulty, um, those passages ring true. If you are going to follow Jesus, you will have to forsake your family. You will have to say, Jesus is more important than my, I, my connection with my parents or my siblings or anything else. Be, Jesus is my everything. And they, they really mean that. They really have to go through that. So, lots of things to be in prayer for for the people of India. They need the Lord. But the believers in India are faithful. They put us, and I don't mean this in a very, I don't mean this negatively toward us as believers here in America, but they put us to shame. They're committed. They're serious. They're faithful. Siri's asking me what I want her. Sorry. Oh, boy. Yes. Uh, get behind me, Satan. Hmm. The pastors, the Brian pastors, and the and the um, 
Campus Crusade for Christ pastors that we met. It was so humbling to go there and meet with them and pray with them, and they wanted us to pray for them. But one of the things they said often was, we pray for you daily. They pray for us. And that's humbling. And it, of course, convicted me that we need to be praying for them. And and the takeaway of going to India and and the things that we need to do as a Berean fellowship and as individuals and as a congregation, the things that we need to do for them are to pray for them and to look for ways to encourage them. They don't necessarily need our financial help because they need to learn how to uh, sustain life on their own and they are doing that well and they are a giving people. They are a giving people. But they need encouragement from us. They need our prayers. But we were blessed to be there. We were encouraged to go there. They are doing the work. They know what it takes to go into a community, to use backpacks as a tool to give something tangible to people in desperate need and then use that as an open door to go back later and to build a relationship and hopefully be able to share the gospel with them and see their lives transformed by the grace of God, by the power of His Spirit. And so it's a great opportunity. But in the moments that we have left, I want to turn our focus back to Ephesians for a moment. I wanted to share something. One of the things that I anticipated when I went to India is um, what the Lord would do in my own heart. And my prayer today is the same as it's always been, but maybe even more real, uh, is that God always wants to He wants to get our attention and He wants to continue to do a work in our hearts. And I'm so glad that you are here because God wants to take away all of the distractions and take away all of the things that get our attention and to clarify and to remind us of what's really important. Tragedies of the flooding remind us of what's really important. Trials in our lives remind us of what is really important. Being challenged to being stretched to being out of your comfort zone like going to India. God uses those things to remind us of what really is important. Uh, Yesterday I was looking at the coffee cup that we got from the local coffee shop. And I hadn't noticed this before. I don't know if it's a new version of a coffee cup, but... Um, on the coffee cup, on the, on the side, it, it asks this question, how will you be amazing today? I don't know if you've noticed that. And they gave different ideas of how you could be amazing by, by buying a cup of coffee to, for the next person in line in the drive through or helping out in a soup kitchen, or planting a tree, or random other ideas of things that you can do to be amazing. And it got to me thinking, we use that term, how will you be amazing today? And it got me thinking, we all really down deep in our hearts want to be amazing. We would not admit that. <laughs> but down deep in our heart, I think we, we truly want that. We desire to be good at, talented, recognized, valued, needed, known for something, to be amazing at something. 
when I was younger, I wanted to be amazing at basketball, and so I went out on my, my court at my house, and I'd practice and practice and practice, and I loved it, and I would pretend scenarios of playing with Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and, and imagine, you know, last-second shots and, and all that kind of stuff, just, just dreaming of being amazing. <laughs> I wasn't, by the way. Later on, as God called me to be a pastor, I dreamed of being an amazing preacher and that people would be like, wow, he's, he's so godly. <laughs> he's such a good preacher. I wanted to be amazing. I got married to my wife, and I wanted to be an amazing husband. I'm not an amazing husband. <laughs> but I want to be. We had kids, and I, I wanted to be an amazing dad. You see, we want to be... We want to be valued. We want to be needed. Maybe not even in a prideful way or a sinful way, although very clearly the, the pride and the sin and the wrong motive and the wrong approach and ambition and the fleshliness comes out and we get it all messed up. And so when I went to India, I fell into this trap once again. God, what can I do to be a blessing to them? I want to be... I want to be used greatly for these people of India. And what God wanted to do was not what He wanted to do through me, but what He wanted to do in me, as He always does. God is more interested in my heart, in changing me, in revealing to me of my value and my worth, not in what I do for others, but who I am. Because of my belonging to Jesus. And so I went all the way to India and I shared all these things and all the blessings, and there's so much more, and I want to have conversations with you so I can tell you more. But I went all the way to India to be reminded of Ephesians 3, Ephesians 1 and verse 3 through 7 through 8, somewhere in there. Because God needed to tell me that I belong. Let me say this, what if being amazing had nothing at all to do with standing out, but to be standing back? What if we've had it wrong all these years in our humanness, that to be amazing isn't that we stand out, but instead stand aside? We get it all messed up. We want to be the center of attention. And God continues to say, I've already given you everything in Christ. We need to stand aside and let the beauty of Jesus be evident and glorified. And so that people would see Christ in our lives. And that we would understand the beauty that we possess is not in ourselves, in, in how amazing we can be, but who is inside us. And so these verses ring true in India in a very real and personal way for me. You look at verse 3 and we, we see all the blessings that we have in Christ. But jump to verse 4, even before He made the world, remember God loved us. And, and then you note this verse, note this phrase, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. We're chosen. 
I want you to just really contemplate this, and I needed to contemplate this for a, for a moment in India, and God reminded me in this struggle of my own soul forgetting who I am in Christ, and He reminded me in a personal way that when someone is chosen, when you choose someone, you choose them because you desire them. And God said, I chose you. Being chosen reveals that we are desired by God. And maybe some of you are feeling undesirable today. But God desires you. He loves you. It goes on and it says, there in verse 5, notices God decided in advance to adopt us into His family, bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. And, and we get this whole picture of adoption. Some of you have been adopted and you understand the realities of it. But I want us to understand a very key thing. And, and maybe this is just for me. Maybe you guys have already gotten this. And this is good for, for me finally getting it. But to be adopted, if you are adopted into a family, then what, you, what that family is saying when they, when they take you and they bring you into the family... They are saying that you were outside the family, you were unwanted, but now you are wanted, you are desired, and now you belong. In all my life, for whatever reason, the, the enemy has whispered these lies in my, in my ears, and he was saying the same thing last week. You don't belong. You're not needed. You don't have value. You don't have anything. And then this verse, I'm adopted. I do belong. Not not anything that I have, but everything that Christ has given me. And so this is the beauty of belonging to Jesus, that I'm chosen, I'm desired, I'm adopted, I belong. And then there in in verse 7, notice what it says. Verse 6, so we praise God and His glorious grace. He's poured out on us through His dear Son. Verse 7, He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son, the forgiveness of sins. We sang that song there at the end of our worship set. I am redeemed. And you read verse 7 and you're reminded of the reality of that, that we have been bought with the blood of Jesus. What does that tell you about God's love for you? Redemption means that He took you and He purchased you and He bought you out of of being a slave and He paid the price of a slave and He paid and He bought it and He bought you back and He brought you out of slavery and set you free. Now, the reality is that this purchase, this redemption cost an infinite amount. It cost Him His own dear Son. And I want us to leave with that today because Jesus or God loves you so much that He was willing to pay an infinite value the life of His own Son so that you would be bought back. So that I would be bought back. Here I am feeling worthless and listening to the lies of the enemy, and then I I remember this foundational truth that God loves me so much, He thought that I was worth it. Infinite worth that He would allow His 
only Son of infinite worth to pay with His own life death on a cross so that I would be redeemed, so that you would be redeemed. The beauty of belonging to Jesus is that I'm desired, I belong, and I have infinite worth. You see, this is the only thing that matters. All else, all else else fails to compare. And so I want you to think about things in your life that you have been focused on, that you've been consumed with, that you've been distracted by, that you've been addicted to, that you've struggled with, things that you are, are you know aren't right and you need to get right. And, and you, you ask the question, well, why am I focusing on those things? Why am I doing these things? And I want to tell you, I want to plead with you, when you see of all the beauty and the love and the value that God says that you have, so much so that He went and He sent His own Son to die for you, to buy you back, to set you free, to cleanse you of your sin, when you see the reality of that, and you accept that by faith in Jesus, all that other stuff fades away. You don't need that other junk. You don't need those other desires. You don't need that, all those distractions because you see your worth, your value in belonging to Jesus. Pray that you would let God do His work in your heart, that you would surrender to Him today, that you would put your faith in Him if you've not done that. And I pray that those of you that have put your faith in Jesus would be reminded of who you are in Christ. You are chosen and adopted and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And you have worth. You have value because you belong to the one of infinite value and worth. And that that would spur you on to not think about yourself, but to think about those that need Christ, to think about those that need to hear the same message, and that together we would be a people that is no longer thinking inwardly and that I would no longer be a person that is thinking inwardly and looking at myself and listening to the lies of the enemy, but that I would only be thinking about Jesus and all the, the, the mystery and the glory and the beauty of who He is and thinking about how many others need to hear that message and that they too need to be set free and that they need to have the joy of the Lord and all that God has planned for them and in store for them. That's what I want to spend the rest of my life focused on. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for this church. If we start thinking outwardly instead of inwardly, if we stop looking at ourselves and start looking at those that need the Lord, and those around us, by the way, that need the Lord, those around us that need a hug and encouragement, maybe someone that you don't know. Sometimes we sit here in these pews and we hang out with people that we know and we're comfortable with when someone that we don't know very well needs to know you and you need to know them. People, we need to start connecting with each other and pouring out our lives to each other and then letting that trickle out in the community and around the world. The beauty of belonging to Jesus changes our perspective on everything. I don't know if any of this has made any lick of sense, to be honest. (laughs) But I pray that the Spirit of God would say what He needs to say to our hearts. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for the things you taught me. 
And uh, I'm grateful that you used so many things in India to get my eyes off of myself and to get them back on you. And God, that's my prayer for each person here, that we would get our eyes off of ourselves and we'd get the, on you and that you would receive the glory and that we would have a joy unspeakable because we would be just floored with your love and grace and your kindness and that we would want that so bad for other people that we'd be willing to share our lives with them, that we'd be willing to share Christ with them. God, move and work in our hearts and move and work in this body that you would transform us and transform this community by the power of Jesus Christ. And it's for his glory, for his name. We pray these things. Amen.